So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, cats, dogs, bipods, tripods, fish, reptiles, all the animals in the zoo, and now including chicks with dicks because we want to make sure that we are including everyone. It is season two, episode 14 of the world famous So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. I'm Chris and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic. How are you, my love? Oh, you know. Same shit, different day. No, I, I totally understand that. So again, we have a special guest in the studio this evening, so we're going to keep it short and sweet on the sponsorship and the PSA. So we don't have to listen to you ramble on and on for the next 10 minutes? Pretty much. Thank God. Which is my, well, you know, favorite part. I know. So the studio sponsor is Marlane Graphics, marlanegraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And the show sponsor is Realtor and a Baby, realtorandababy.com for all of your real estate needs. Shall we PSA my love? Depends what it's going to be. Tonight's PSA, as always, is brought to you by Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes. Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes for all of your double penetration needs. Did you know, Megan, that the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, see, I did that in one shot right there. That was good, even practicing. Recommends that you only use a car seat for an X amount of years. Yeah, but it's like 12 years or something. No, it's not, which is why you're a horrible mother with two husbands. Why? That? What is the amount then? I believe it's five or six. Really? So tonight's PSA, if you have little ones in the back, since we're coming upon the summer traveling season, is to make sure that you check the expiration date on those car seats. And if you happen to be getting a new car seat, did you know that you can also bring it to the local fire station and the firefighters will install it properly for you? I did know that, actually. I thought you meant how long they had a ride in it. I do know they expire like it's milk or something. I know, which is so silly because it's literally a piece of plastic. I know, I know. That is tonight's most professional and profound PSA. You did some research, honey. I did. Proud of you. That's why I was pooping last night. (laughs) That's where I do my best research. So, Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes for all of your double penetration needs. And now, da-dun, da-dun, da-da. Our guest of the hour. Tonight, we have with us Jared Breslin, who is a friend and a listener of the show. And I don't know how you ended up in our basement, but here you are. We're happy to have you. Thank you for having me. And I also don't know how I ended up here. (laughs) I think it was the power of social media. I think so. I think so. I think Megan stalked you. I did. Is that wrong? Well, it's certainly not the first man she stalked. <laughs> I didn't get arrested this time. Well, Just kidding. That never happened. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, Jared has, well, first of all, you're a local guy. Yes. Havertown, born and raised. And for those that don't know where Havertown is, explain that to us for uh, the geographically inclined. Can I just say Delco and leave it at that? I think you may have to dig a little bit okay. deeper. Uh, western suburbs of Philadelphia. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. That's fair. The 26th county of Ireland. Damn. Wait a minute. 
How did Ireland get involved? Because it's the highest population of Irish-born immigrants in America. No way. I actually believe that, but I really didn't know that was a true fact. I had no idea. That's awesome. I'm all full of facts. That's I super love it. interesting. Hmm. Very surprised by that. Much more interesting than your fire safety one that you just had. You stop that right oh, now. Right. <laughs> that was a great PSA. It actually was. I'm proud of you. And, it, it, interestingly enough, way less offensive than most of the other PSAs. 99%. I mean, can we all agree on that? 100%. Big time. So, Jared, you have a very interesting story. We have actually been sitting in the studio for a little bit now. And I have fucked up your name exactly 10 times. It happens. So I want to make sure that you call me out on that. Should I continue? It's not Jerry. It's not Gerard. It's Jared. Yes. Jared. I'm going to make sure I don't screw that up again. Okay. I will certainly let you know. Hold him to it. (laughs) Yes, please. So a couple of things, right? You obviously have a super interesting story. But before we get into the backstory, why don't you talk about what's going on this weekend in your life? Yeah, so uh, this weekend we're um, hosting an event at the Jewish Community Center, the Kaiser Jewish Community Center in uh, Wynwood for Just Between Friends. It um, supports local families uh, with 50 to 90 percent off of all children's goods and allows families of used material to sell those goods and uh, help other families out. We're, uh, we're hosting the event, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's our, it's our first time. We're trying to hit the ground running and doing this the right way. And, and I think for all the hard work that my girlfriend has put in, the help that our friends have helped with, we're going we're gonna to nail it. We're going to knock it out of the park. And it's literally clothing. I clothing, mean- toys, you know, those uh, car seats that you were speaking of. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Yes. Uh, anything you might need from, you know, baby through t- what 10 12 years old oh wow uh we can we can help you out with oh i didn't know i thought it was just like toddlers and infants no and... maternity stuff you know shoes sporting goods board games you name it there's pretty much on our on our sales list that's amazing and what a great way to give back to the community rather than i mean putting it in the trash or bringing it to goodwill which is still great right but let's put this back into the community for a pretty good discount right and, and that's what it's all about you know help helping other families out you know just like alcoholics you know we help each other out damn right so as, as a new parent we've gotten help along the way through just between friends and we'd like to reciprocate that for all the local families that's amazing and is this something that you know you're just cruising around on the weekend. Do you need to buy tickets in advance? How does that work? So tickets are available on our website, jbfsale.com slash easternmainline. Tickets are available for Friday's pre-sale. Tickets are free on Saturday for the beginning of the day. And then we sell 50% off of all goods on Saturday evening as well as Sunday. Um, so you do need a ticket for the pre-sale and the 50% off. But if you do show up at the door on Saturday, it's a $5 charge. And can you pay cash, Venmo, debit card? What's what's the so what do we need to bring? We accept cash, credit card, uh, no Venmo as of yet. That's in the works. But yeah, any normal form of payment we accept. I'm going on Friday. I can't wait to get rid of you. I know. Wait to, I'm not being sold. Oh. Well, maybe. We'll see what the offer is. I am going to fill our back patio. I already have visions. There's going to be one of those crazy coupe cars, a slide, a little basketball hoop. You're going to lose your mind. I'm, I'm literally like 
furious riddled already. with anxiety. I've right already now. actually moved it to the back so you can take it when you get there. Jesus You're Christ. Bad. I like have a list. I'm ready. I, th- I think that's good, right? Is this yeah. something like you can go online and preview the items? The items aren't previewable. Just think about what any baby or child would need. Just it's there. I promise. I promise you that. It's there. Okay, that's fair. And then one more time, give us the website. It is jbfsale.com/easternmainline. And it's Friday. Saturday, Sunday, but there's a couple of different ways you can get in those those different days. Right. We, we encourage everyone to buy tickets uh, previous to showing up, but um, if you show up on Saturday, you can pay cash at the door. I love it. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I'm going. I have a whole list, and you're going to lose your mind. I know. You love stuff. Chris loves stuff. I do. <laughs> Stuff's good. Stuff he, is good. He loves stuff. He doesn't love baby stuff everywhere. All right. Now... For my favorite part of the show, this is where we get uncomfortable, right? Oh, no. We start talking about our inner feelings, <laughs> all that good stuff. So, again, when we started the show, I said that Jared had a very interesting story. And now it is your time to shine, my friend. So you were born, you lived, now you're in my basement. Tell us what happened in between. I, I was a professional athlete. For- Whoa. Yeah, for three years of my life, um, I, I got drafted by the Phillies after college. I was in the organization for three years uh, when they won the World Series in 2008. So I got to uh, experience quite the ride in those uh, three years. That has to be. So, I, I mean, I, I would imagine, because, again, I'm an alcoholic, I'll make this about me in, in one way or another. I would imagine that would be like me making it on a million-dollar list. Sounds about right. Something like that, yeah. right? So what's that like coming from, you know, a kid who grew up just outside of Philly, you have now, I mean, is made it fair to say? It would it would be a good word. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just think, especially being a hometown guy like that. Right. Made it even that much better. But to, to work every day of my life since, you know, I was four years old, I started, I picked up a ball and had a catch with my dad, you know, and then every waking moment from that point on was the dream of being a major league baseball player Mm -hmm. and i i got there you know not not to that level but like i had a chance um if things you know the the path turned out a little bit differently i I had a chance but it it was amazing you know just to hear your name called by the philadelphia phillies selected 713th overall is from lasalle university jared Breslin, but I think they call me Gerard. So, but you let you know, them get away with yeah, that. I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll let, let that slide. slide. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just um, a culmination of a life of determination and absolute dedication. Um, and like what I was telling you guys earlier, like my my first addiction was to baseball. I was just gonna say, tell us what that was like. I mean, I have a son. He's an athlete. He loves sports. But he's never going to get to that level. And I don't say that meanly. But because he loves sports, but not in that way. Like, you know what I mean? Right. He's he's not getting up at 5 a.m. to take a run around the block first thing. And let's be you know? honest. Like, I, I, you would definitely be able to speak to this better than I would. But what's the, out of all the kids that ever played, I, I don't know what it's called, farm league baseball or t-ball or, you know, pickup basketball. What's the percentage? That, so, I like, mean, even if you go to high school, the amount of kids who play in college is like 2%. The amount of kids in, in college who get drafted is less than 1%. 
Yeah. So we're talking fractions of oh, a percentage. Yeah, point. absolutely. Like, I mean, every six-year-old boy says they want to be a professional baseball player, but a zero point zero 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 one percent is actually going to get there. You right. Know? Yeah. It was hard to do, you know, and I got lucky a lot of a lot of times. You know, I put the work in. Mm. You know, kind of like alcoholism and AA. You know, you put the work in, you're going to see results. Absolutely. So I, I just, I dedicated my life to becoming a Major League Baseball player. I kind of almost got there. It worked. Yeah, it, it, worked, it worked. Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was um amazing. Absolutely. Like, you just you nailed it on the head right there. Amazing is the word. Uh, it literally gives me goosebumps. And again, yeah. I am the least sports-oriented guy you will ever meet. But, like, I... I think there's a lot to be said as a, you know, six-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid. I'm going to grow up to be a doctor. And then you're going to your white coat ceremony. I don't care if you want to be, you know, a, a gas pumper, whatever it is. The fact that you had that that vision and then that drive and hit all of the appropriate steps to make that happen is just like, God, that's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was I was placed in a lot of good situations to show the right people that I was... I was the the guy, you know, that I I could do it. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily, I performed well in those situations too. Right. So, you know, it's a lot of a lot of luck, but it's also a lot of skill. Oh, for sure. And hard work. Hard work. Yeah. Yep. Determination, grit, grit. I love that word. In intestinal yeah. fortitude. Yeah. We always say that the kids these days are missing the grit. So you are, you know. You're riding high. You're a young kid. You're about to embark on this, a different level of this amazing journey, and something happens. Yeah, so um, two weeks prior to the draft, actually, we were, um, so I played at LaSalle, and we were out in Cincinnati playing Xavier, and uh, I threw on a Saturday, and I woke up Sunday, and I, I couldn't lift my arm. And uh, from that moment on, like I'm just like, something's not right here. So you knew it wasn't oh, just, you know. Yeah, no, I, I you, knew. You gave it a little something like, extra. Th think about how easy it is to turn a doorknob and not being able to do that. Stop it. Yeah, like stupid pains from the head to the toes. Jesus. You know? Yeah, so from that point on, it was it was a downward spiral, you know, to a mm -hmm. certain extent. So do you, I mean, do you go see like the team doc? How does that work so, at that level? So, I mean, LaSalle is a, a smaller Division One school. Mm -hmm. So the uh, the amount of facilities and doctors and trainers available wasn't really to the extent where a school like Georgia Tech or Florida State would have. Sure. Or even Villanova, for that matter. Right. Um, so they just put ice on it and, you know, told me to take some time off and you'll be okay. Okay. I mean, but what what do they know? I mean, they didn't have an MRI. They couldn't see through my arm to see all it all jacked up. So they did what, what they knew. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't... You know, fault them on that. No, I'm sure absolutely. there was a part of you too that wanted to believe that was going to be okay. Oh, absolutely. You know, like perfect. I'll put the ice on. I'm going to take some ibuprofen, and you know, I'll be back up and running in a couple weeks. And that's why I kept on getting the surgeries too, because yeah. I'm like, okay, this time's going to be the fix, and I'm going to yeah. be fine, and nothing is going to go wrong from here on out. But yeah. that was not the case. So what happens next? You get drafted, and yeah, then the next. So I get drafted on a on a Friday afternoon. By Sunday, I'm down in Clearwater, having signed a contract for a thousand dollars, and um, or my professional baseball career has begun. That's incredible. Our season didn't start for another week. 
Um, and I, I fully disclosed to the trainers down there that I, that I had some like tightness in my arm. I wasn't going to tell them the extent of the pain that I was feeling. Sure. So I, I started the season on the disabled list, and they're they're obviously more equipped to deal with this kind of situation. So the the stim, the therapy, uh, you name it. You know, they put me through the rigor. You know, halfway through the season, I was able to like kind of throw. No way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You know, I was throwing ninety five in college. God damn. So my my professional debut, I was like eighty eight. Which is still like to me, that's lightning no, it, fast. It's really fast, yeah, it's right? Really fast. fast. Trust if, me. I mean, we're talking, you know, the big leagues. That's probably like mediocre. Okay. Yeah, I mean, ninety-five is especially now. It's like the bare minimum of what you have to do. No way. Yeah, I mean, those dudes are so good, and they throw so hard. My God. Um, and then the hitters on the other, on the same extent, like they hit one hundred and five miles an hour, like they're eating breakfast shit which is crazy it's so like any professional athlete if you watch golf basketball like those dudes are insanely good at whatever they do you know yeah yeah so true yeah so you know i I pitched in eight games that season i got hit around a lot like i was not successful at all (laughs) so and then after the season like they told me to shut it down for three months until you start throwing when i started throwing in january uh, the same pain was still existing. So they sent me to a doctor, got an MRI, and they said, um, well, it looks like your rotator cuff is is torn. Shit. In multiple places. Oh. Yeah, so I had uh, anterior and posterior uh, rotator cuff um, tear. So I, I got surgery like January 8th of 2009. No, 2008, I'm sorry. Yeah, and that, that started my... My uh, my career in uh, prescription painkillers and doctor shopping and you name it. Interesting. So you had, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had never really dabbled recreationally in Percocets no, or no, opiates um, so at this point? Obviously, like alcohol in college and marijuana were my, my two major enjoyments in life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as soon as I took that first dabble of Percocet that they had given me, it, it was uh, it was game over from that point on. Yeah, yeah. Talk. Um, I mean, I Jesus, I could I could go on and on about what that is that feeling is like, but I'm just like a, a run of the mill degenerate junkie. You, however, on the budding end of a major league baseball career, you're a young kid. You got cash in your pocket. You have all these things going for you. Try to frame what it's like that this little pill is what's going to make you willingly throw all of that away. The yeah, powerlessness. I, and, and that's, wow. Like you just, the way that you just put that was amazing. Because, I'm actually pretty good at what I do. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. But like I, I literally did throw it all away for that little blue pill, mm-hmm. you know? And just think of like the emotional void that I was filling at that time. Absolutely. Like, I've played multiple teams my entire life, you know, for 17 years at this point. I'm 22 at this right now. Like, I, I can't play. I can't throw. I was going to say, who even are you at that point? Yeah. Like, just, that was your life. The, my whole identity yeah. is now Gone. thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know who I am. What do I do? That little blue pill was my escape from reality. Yeah. You know, it made me feel okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And the, the way that... You know, the next 
you know, three, four, five years transpired, it all revolved around that one pill. Every decision I made, you know, was, okay, how can I get high in that, in that situation? Should I leave the Phillies, you know, in 2009 after the season and just have no plan in life at all? And just go get high somewhere. And, and that's what I did. You know, like I was, you know, in 2008, 2009 in Florida, that's when pill mills were like oh, yeah. popping off big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I had an MRI saying my arm was all messed up. What can I get? And they would they would feed that. And that's I ran with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you're talking 2008, 2009. So that was still the time that even with orthopedic surgeries, we actually send people even home on Oxycontin. So I, I wasn't, you know, that like, lucky, if you yeah. want to say, you know, <laughs> like um, it was pretty it was, you know, the 15s and 30s that they left me with. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was very liberal prescribing back then. Uh, I had five different scripts from five different doctors yeah. and. And it wasn't even like a thing. It was just, no, you know, it, it's what you did. It, that's it. Wasn't that hard. was my normal life, right? You know, like I would go to the ballpark. I would do my workout for three, four hours. I would leave, and I would go sit in a dark hotel room by myself for the rest of the day and just like be numb, miserable, but feeling good, but content. Yeah, miserable but content is like, the only way I can put it. How does that happen? Drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that speaks to you know, the powerlessness of this disease. Like, you know, you're not going anywhere good when you ingest that substance, whatever it is. Right. But once you put it down, you're okay with, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but like for me, I was okay with being like a dirtbag. Whatever happened next, yeah. Yeah, and I was living like a dirtbag, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Lying, stealing, manipulating, whatever I had to do to, to get one more. Were there any consequences from the ball club or... Did that even play into your mind, even just the slightest bit? So it did not play into my my mind at all. Okay. At the time, because I was on the disabled list, I had a free reign of if I popped hot in a urine test. Oh, yeah. Hey, you're hurt, so that makes sense. It's okay. prescribed. It's prescribed. Yes. yes. So I, you know, I ran, because we would get drug tested, I was you just know, gonna like say, I would every think that's month frequent. at least. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot more stringent now because Major League Baseball players have died from overdoses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now they're testing for drugs of abuse. But at the time, you know, like it, it said Percocet or oxy, you know, oxycodone, whatever. That was okay because, hey, you're hurt. You got a, you got a script from our doctor. Sounds good. And, and they can't necessarily tell in a urinalysis that you have quite literally like- 800 enough, milligrams yeah, in my system? Yeah. Enough opiates in <laughs> you to kill like an elephant. All right. of them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I guess not. Or, you know, I would have been caught real fast. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because like a few of my teammates were like recreationally using marijuana and they would be like fined or released or suspended. So I would see all these things and I'd be like, sucks for you yeah you know so, <laughs> so I, it did that didn't phase me at all like i i didn't care if i would get caught like i didn't think i was going to get caught but i wasn't in the mindset to even care even if like they had an inkling right you know and i'm sure i showed it you know like i was probably all pale and pasty fucking nodding off yeah. during your workout yeah exactly and... you know like it was we think we have it all together unbelievable yeah, right exactly yep. What was the first, I don't know, I guess, consequence, if you will, or what was that first 
light bulb moment that you were like, all right, maybe it's time that I did something different. Losing trust of my family, you know, like that was pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. But that really like they kind of knew something was up when I came back in 2009. Okay. That like I wasn't the same. I wasn't talking like I'm not really a talkative person, but I would just like be mute and showing no emotions at all. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't really have a consequence till like, 2017 when I got arrested. But other than that, like, five treatment centers before that didn't phase me, whatever, you know? So. And were you checking yourself in? Like, did you know, all right, there's a problem. Oh, I got to yeah. figure this out. I would yeah. be on, like, day three of detoxing and be, like, have to go to the ER for drip. Oh. Yeah, because I would, like, I'd be so dehydrated that. Like my whole body would tense up and that like yeah. yeah it was bad like I would live in the shower yeah and just curl up in a ball like and that would work for five minutes yeah. and then you know game on and it's just yup so like obviously getting sick every other week for years on end you know my family knew something was up yeah oh no I just I you know I I got an uh, upper endoscopy. For ulcers, you know, oh, like I played I the game for so too. long. Yes. Just to like play, to give me a little bit more time before shit really hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh. Which is really just like in the in the mind of the addict and the alcoholic. Like, again, it's not about shit hitting the fan. It's like I'm coming up with the backup plan to the backup yeah. plan to the backup plan because God damn it, I'm not going to be sick. You That's know? it. You know, like I, you know, stole everything from my parents, you know, yeah. wedding rings, you know, you name it. Like. Some really dirtbag things that mm-hmm. normal people don't even think about. But, yeah. like, at the time, it was the best option. Yeah. You know? The Isn't only option. Crazy? I was just going to yeah. say, only option. I mean, you could go and work, but, like, no. Yeah, no, nah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I was coaching at the time at, yeah. at a different couple different uh, schools, like universities. But, you know, coming coming to, to practice high yeah. You know, and like I'm trying to tell these kids how to live like a clean life. You know, like this is what you have to do in the real world and I'm like, "Whoa," you know, like, yeah, I was not a healthy person at that point. And I would say what it make you a very reliable employee is my guess. I, I mean, it never did for me. So, Jared? I think my sister got in like 20 car accidents in one year because I'm like, I got to go. So, I, something happened, you know. Oh and my yeah. god, yeah. So you just imagine the the excuses that would come out of sure. my mind. Mhm. You know, I was not reliable at all. And, you know, the people around me suffered. Yeah. Because the team stunk. The head coaches get fired. You know, so like I, in some level, am totally responsible for that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like I was half-assing my entire existence and it affected so many more people than I want to imagine. Exactly. And I think that's, again, one of those alcoholic addict things while you're in it. I mean, my parents told me I was a dirtbag on numerous occasions and I would fire back immediately like, well, I'm only hurting me. And, you know, it wasn't until years after that I started to, like, look beyond myself that I was like, oh, my God, the damage that I caused. And it's repairable, right? Mm -hmm. But in that moment, you don't think about anything outside of your damn self. Not at all. You know, and it's crazy. It's such I don't want to say helpless, but it's it's a horrible spot to be in. Right. So let's talk. I mean, you've gone to treatment, you know, a couple of times, a couple of different places, I would assume. Yeah, just a couple. What <laughs> the last time that you went to, uh, where did you end up in? And what was different? Like, what was that like? Because, again, 
you've been playing the rodeo now for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I was in and out for, you know, close to a decade. You know, it wasn't even that long ago, which I, I kind of feel like a fraud. No fraud. You know, because no. I, I would have two and a half years sober. Mm-hmm. go out for like a week ruin everything yeah you know and then like find myself back in rehab and like what the fuck same apologies yeah same like, bullshit and everyone like you gain that trust back you know minute by minute and then it's all gone in a flash of an eye right you know in june of last year i had six months sober mm-hmm. i had i had um I was doing an IOP down in the city. I uh, I just moved out of a recovery house in South Philly, and um, I came up with the great idea that, like, one bag would do it. And I'll just call it, you know, I'm good for now. One bag. Yeah. And that bag almost killed me. Yeah. Mm. You know? I was, I, we had a brand new baby boy. Like, I was on overnight duty. We wake him up at 5 o'clock, change his diaper, feed him. I sniff a bag, and I almost don't wake up. That was... That was the first time I ever overdosed. That in and of itself changed my whole perspective on life, recovery, you name it. That was real. Not to use a pun, but that's a that's a pretty damn sobering moment at that point, right? You 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 got that right. You know, and again, like we've talked about this on the show before. After you have a child, I don't care what you did before that, but that day and every day going forward is about that child no matter what. And I, and I forgot that. You know, yeah. for yep. for that split second, and I think Megan was talking about this a few weeks ago, where she was, you had, you were going to engage, you were going to get engaged a few weeks. Yeah, we got later. engaged a couple weeks after my final. This is it. I'm an alcoholic. Was realizing, like you were talking about, I think I'm just going to move to the middle of nowhere and do nothing. I was willing to give up my son, Chris, my life, my career, everything that mattered, so I could have one more drink or preferably all the drinks. Right. You know, <laughs> so I could literally live my life as a full-blown alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I'd find someone to take care of me. Like it would be all okay. I could figure it out. I didn't need anyone or anything else. I just had to get drunk. And that night I didn't, but that was the moment for me that I was like, this is it. I'm, right. You know, and it it is. You realize at some point I'm willing to give up my kids. Like, that's sick. That's what illness is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times you hear about the the quote-unquote low point, and I think that a m- huge misconception of the public is like, you know, everybody's low points, homelessness or joblessness yeah. or whatever. Let me tell you something. Megan was never homeless. Well, I mean, she was at her parents' beach house, blah, blah, blah. But, like, things weren't that bad personally so to speak right on the outside right I, would say. I mean i'm an alcoholic and i was the sickest of you all but <laughs> <laughs> yes society said i kept it together i got one dui that's like child's play right these days mm-hmm. and um yeah no that wasn't my low point i was sorry for that i thought we could move on you know it wasn't until i realized what i was willing to give up i finally got better yeah exactly sort of and then your situation, Jared, sort of the same thing. Like, I would assume that you were not homeless. Nope. But you had that aha moment. And it was not, uh, again, I'm going to step out on a limb here, but it was probably not the lowest of your lows, if oh, you will. Oh, no. By, by no means mm-hmm. was that the lowest of low. Mm-hmm. You know, like three, four, five years prior, you know, I thought I hit the low. And then a lower low would happen. And then a lower low. You know, there was a time, you know, I was at my buddy's wedding and I was like 160 pounds. Jesus. You know, and I, I weigh 250 pounds now, so you can imagine yeah. what I looked like. You look like me. 
with more hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just the the way that I I lived. I've done some some crummy stuff that I look back on it and I really dislike myself for. Mm-hmm. But then again, I have to think like that's the past, and and in right. the moment, I I was doing the only thing that I knew how. Mm-hmm. I was existing for that next drug. Right. I also think, too, with relapse, each time, especially if we put in the work previously, like you said, you went to treatments, you lived in a treatment living facility or a situation like a sober living house, like you learn and you still take those things with you with a relapse, I think, at least. You know what I mean? You're not starting at square one. You're not throwing it away. You're building on everything that you've done prior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the clock resets, if you will. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it, numbers are numbers. Right. Exactly. So, what do you do now? What's your what keeps the, what keeps you sober today? The biggest thing for me is telling people how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, like I used to hide everything. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. See ya. Yeah. You know, like no that, eye contact. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Um, even if I was having the shittiest day of all time, like I never wanted you to to let anybody know how I actually was feeling. Mm-hmm. So now I wake up and, you know, I try to pump myself up a little bit like you can do this. And, and I tell my girlfriend what's what. Uh, right. You know, if I have a bad day, this is what happened. This is how it made me feel. And it's it's so foreign yeah. when you first start doing that stuff. Yes. Like I've never done that in my entire life. And now I'm 36 years old and I'm a brand new person, you know, just because I'm able to be emotionally there. Yeah. You know, Yep. It, it's an amazing feeling because I don't have to hide from who I am. Yeah. So I, like it, it's a really breathtaking, you know, if you really, and the, and the response that I get, like to be vulnerable with another person is something I've never felt before. No, it's truly amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's terrifying, but also amazing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I think once you get over that sort of terrifying yeah. hump, if you will, it's probably, and you two can correct me if I'm wrong, one of the most freeing feelings yeah. No, I mean, because so the first time I actually got vulnerable uh, with my girlfriend was I was a day out of detox, you know, in July, like it was fourth of July. And we were picking up a, a script of my antidepressants or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I pulled over and I bawled my eyes out in the car. You know, the baby's in the back seat, And I'm like, just like you were, Megan, I was ready to drive down to Kensington, park my ca- car and never leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got a six week old baby in the back seat, a woman who loves me next to me and I'm ready just to like give up. Yeah. None of that matters. No, it it's, didn't. It's crazy. And, and it's it, from that point on things changed because for the first time I was telling the truth. Yeah. You know? Yep. It was, it was it's, it's unbelievable. It really is. Isn't it amazing to not lie anymore? That blows my mind on a daily basis. I think we've talked about this a million times, and I say it all the time. I used to lie about everything to hide what was going on, how I felt, what I was doing, everything. And, like, when I first got sober, I still lied, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? I had two eggs. I did not. Like, that is a lie, and no one needs you to lie about that. And but it's, it's so, so insignificant. I know, I know. But you don't know how to live any other way. I was just going to say, it's so, a way of life. To start from scratch, rebuild, is, I don't know, it's crazy. It's amazing. I know. And we're all old here. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually the only one that's of retirement oh, age. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. 41 is the new 65. Man, I can't wait then. Although when you're like us and you get sober in your mid-30s and have to start saving for retirement then, it's going to be a long yeah, way I, away. I have the savings of like a 10-year-old kid who mows lawns. You still have just your first community money and that's it. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. No, I spent that on drugs a long time ago. I'm actually happy my credit score is starting to go up. So this, that's... You know, the grips of sobriety right there. Absolutely. Oh, that's his thing all the way. It's You know what? And again, like like most things in my life, I will obsess over it. I am constantly on the grind. I think when I met Megan, my credit score was quite literally half of what hers was. I think it was actually non-recordable. <laughs> all right. Is that an option? I don't, I don't even know. Don't be so dramatic. I mean, you robbed a bank. They wouldn't even let you in for a while. <laughs> That's, they still won't. <laughs> I know. It's neither here nor there. We're almost at that 10-year mark. All right. The magic question. Are you ready? Having gone what you've gone through, the places that you've been, the level of success that you achieved that fractions of a percentage of the population get to go there, the things that you've done, would you trade any of that? to be where you are now. Would you give any of that back? Are you happy that you've traveled this road? Oh, I'm, I'm ecstatic that I've traveled this road. Yeah. You know, like I'm so serene these days mm. because I know that I can overcome anything that comes my way. Yes. You know, like it doesn't matter what it is. You know, a, a hiccup with my relationship or at work, uh, they're all insignificant to what I've actually been through. Um, or put myself through, for that matter. Right. Um, but still, like, anything that comes my way, face it head on, tackle it, move on to the next thing. Because it's going to keep on coming. Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't stop. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm starting, especially with the newborn, like, man, it just keeps coming. <laughs> and we're talking bodily fluids. Uh, uh, you name it. Developmental milestones, temper tantrums, like, it's all... It's all coming, my friend. But all all for the better. You know, like yeah. every single moment is making me a better person. So like I can I have the knowledge to undertake that the next time. And you're yes. present for it. I always think that's, that's the huge hugest too. thing. Absolutely. Right? Like I've lived most of my adult life completely numb from the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like it didn't matter what position I was or what situation I found myself in, like I was a blank canvas. Yeah. You know, now I'm starting to sculpt myself a little bit here and there. You know, people are making their mark on me, which is even all better. What's the greatest gift you've ever been given? Very vague question. Yeah, no, I, I'm all about the vagueness, though. Yes. A little existential. I like it. Peace of mind. Hmm. Ooh. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, 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 for most of my life, I've hated myself. You know? Sure. Yeah. They, not, nothing was up to snuff. I could have done better, and now I'm just like I'm cool with who I am and, and what I do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that's it's a pretty uh, nice place to be. The uh, the program is truly uh, even uh, we've talked about this before. Like you can half-ass your way through this program and still live like this amazing life. And I'm certainly not insinuating that you're half-assing anything, but I think that's one of those byproducts that sometimes just enough is okay to get you by whereas like years ago i would have been spiraling yeah and that uh, that doesn't put anybody in a good place not at all what about any advice for the youngsters 
that are coming up. Wow. You know, it's funny because like I'm in the midst of becoming a teacher. So like my my goal in life is to mold as many young minds as I possibly can. Mm, admirable. Thank you. So in telling them that like their best is good enough, that's it. Yeah. Try your best. Mm-hmm. Let the chips fall as they may and know that you did, you know, your best effort. And that's, you're, you're going to be okay with that. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Because my best effort was never good enough. And it wasn't from any external forces. Like this was all internally driven right. that I could always do better, mm-hmm. no matter what the circumstance. So, I mean, people put that pressure on themselves is a recipe for disaster. You know, yeah. mental health, addiction, you name it. They're going to be fucked up one way or the other if they keep living that way. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. You're literally a ticking time bomb at that point, right? Yeah. How do you feel? What's your thoughts on, you know, the fact that mental health is actually something you can talk about at the dinner table in professional sports, that it's actually gaining, I I don't know if respect that it deserves or the reverence that it deserves. Like, what's your thoughts on that? I think it'll, you know, especially with sports, I think it will actually make the quality of play better hmm. because people will be in a better mindset and especially at the professional level, like yeah. their their athletic skills are already bar none top, you know, in the whole world. But to have that mental escape and, and the way that they mentally train themselves, bar none, we're going to see great athletes, performances, whatever sport it will be. It's just going to keep getting better and better and better because the mental health is being more acceptable. You know, the vulnerability of athletes talking about their struggles, it's its going to be better for the whole world because people look up to athletes. Yeah, exactly. You know, like for how much they're really just normal people like you and I. Well, there's nothing normal about me. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> so it makes it beautiful. Full disclosure. But just like all these little kids looking up to the yeah. guys who are able to acknowledge their struggles. Mm-hmm. And then that just the byproduct of that, like these little kids who struggle, they're going to be okay with that. Right. Because it is okay. Yeah, People exactly. People struggle. It's just a, it's a fact of life. Yeah, I was going to say. There's yeah. no way out of it. There's no. struggle. And I think that's unfortunately one of the byproducts of social media is you never see the struggles. Kind of like probably, you know, when I'm watching so-and-so on TV who's a professional athlete, you don't see what it's like, you know, in the training room the next day. Yeah. You don't see what it was like the previous X amount of years to get to that level. All you see is the trophies, the this, the that. Yeah, snapshot. Right. I think that just that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on, I think, frankly, everybody. Yeah. You I mean, know? the the, uh, the effect of social media is, I mean, in my point of view, extremely negative. Yeah. On, yeah. on, on young children, at least. Sure. You know, for us, you know, we can a- advertise yeah, you know, your podcast or yes. JBF. So it's, it's a tool for us to use. But for them, it's just ammunition to look at themselves in a bad point of view. Yes. Yeah. You know? I know. I worry about that. I worry. I mean, Max 11 and he's not really on social media. They like TikTok things. But like when it gets to that point and, you know, the bullying that surrounds it and all that kind of stuff, it does. It's it scares me as a parent. We didn't have that. Aren't you glad we didn't have that when we were like high school, college? Oh, yeah. I would have been a drug addict at seven years old instead of (laughs) 17 or 18. You would have hated yourself even earlier. Exactly. Excellent. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Any regrets? I, I regret when I was coaching, not putting my full effort in to help guys reach their goal. Don't get me wrong. Like I've coached some guys who have made the major leagues and are now established in that profession, but I probably could have made a better mark on the guys who weren't that talented, but I could have, you know, been there to guide them in a better light. That's it. Right. Other than that, like my path personally, don't regret it at all. Yeah. You get where you're going to be. Yeah. How you got there. But, but helping those guys reach, you know, their ultimate level of competition and stuff, uh, that's where I kind of fault myself a little bit. And that's, again, like that's nothing you can change. Like, have you ever reached out to some of those guys or do you see them or so my, is that like kind of an off limits sort no, of no, thing? No, no, not off. Like everyone knows my struggle. Trust me. Like right. I, I'm, I was sober when I all coached, when I coached them, I kind of told them what's what, you know, yeah. like this is real. I, I got to the echelon of performance. It, it took me down, you yeah. know, like drugs and alcohol bit me in the ass, and kept on biting. So I didn't hide the fact that I was an addict and alcoholic. I never looked back at it yeah, and said, like, I'm sorry for not being a better coach at the time I was doing my best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they know that. For the most part, I would say, you know, of the, let's say, 200 guys that I ever coached, 198 of them look at me in a, in a good light. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's okay. Absolutely. I'll take 99%. That's not bad. You're damn right I would. Do you think that it's appropriate that, you know, coaches, mentors, things like that, high-risk populations, that these people talk to the kids about the dangers of substance abuse, maybe not necessarily even in the sports world, given the state of, you know, we're, we're starting to overcome a little bit the stigma piece of this disease um do you think that that's appropriate uh it probably depends on the age you know like sure. high school when you know drugs and alcohol are pretty prevalent in most kids lives um mm-hmm. i think that's when the the message really needs to start you know like we did dare like just say no like yeah. that's not realistic right having a guy you know like myself like you you guys Come to a class, give it a, you know, an auditorium full, like, yo, this is where I was at. This is where I'm at now. Like, you don't need to do, you know, get to the pits of despair to reach your, you know, what you want. Know that this is real. You don't need to, you know, it's not cool to use drugs. Like, let's be real. It's not You know, like. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of kids think it's cool because, you know, the cool kids are doing it. Like, mm-hmm. those guys aren't cool. Yeah, not yeah. cool. You know, like. James Dean is dead. Yeah, they're all dead. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, exactly. did years in jail. There's nothing cool about it. No. I always say at work, I mean, everyone I work with knows I'm an alcoholic. I don't disclose to patients per se. That's, you know, a fine line. They're supposed to trust you, blah, 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 unless I think it's going to help them in some way. Sure. So I say that all the time. If I'm getting the person in with the third fall and the sutures and the this drunk, and I will say I drank like that too in college. And I know it's normal, but it's not because now I can't drink it all anymore. Right. You know, like there's a pattern. There's some signs, some symptoms. You can call yourself a college student today. In a couple of years, you may be calling yourself an alcoholic. You know, recognize it. You don't have to wait till you're 33 like I did. I, I have to tell you, like, I was, I don't want to say nervous. I don't know. I've never 
Never interviewed a superstar. Uh, anything but a superstar, I promise you that. <laughs> but it's like, you know what? You know, the, Megan and I have talked about this. The reason that we do this is because we're both alcoholics and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But it also spreads a message, you know? And like you said, I'm probably putting words in your mouth. Like the silence is not a good place to be. Like no. you got to get out there. You got to get vulnerable. You have to talk about your story. And I am super happy that we got you up here to sit down with us for this little bit of time and spread some experience, strength, and hope. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me, really. Um, if I could reach one person, I did my job today. That's you know? right. Exactly it. That's how we feel. That's like, how we feel. That's it. If I could change one life. I've completed my mission. We say all the time, like, life's not all, like, unicorns and rainbows and things like that. And we get down here and say things that so many people are thinking, but they will not say out loud, mm -hmm. you know? And that's our goal. Like, it's okay to say it. It's okay to ask for help. And, like, you can live a great life. It takes a lot of freaking work, though. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it does. The three of us are literally living proof. Yeah. Like, a couple of years ago, we were not good people. And all of that, with a little bit of work, you can put behind you and you can live an amazing life. Yeah. And it really is amazing. I got one final question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. We need peddlers. Oh, yeah. How are your uh, yeah. sea legs? So I have not worked out in 15 years. So us either. Don't act like you're better <laughs> than. Yeah. Come on, dude. See that Peloton's collecting laundry. <laughs> so what's the deal with the peddlers? So we're participating in an event for Team Foster, which does another topic that's near and dear to our heart is veterans. Okay. Uh, Chris is from a military family. His brother just retired after 20 years. And they do service dogs for veterans, uh, PTSD, physically disabled veterans, things like that. So they do a 24-hour cycling event, stationary. We can't ride places, definitely no. not. But anyway, we're putting together, so I married an alcoholic team. We're recruiting. We got a camper, I think, an RV. What did you get? We sure did. We're going to turn it into a sober party bus. Okay. We are, and it's down at Lincoln Financial Field. Okay. And it's the weekend of June 3rd and 4th. June 4th and 5th. Okay, June 4th and 5th. And if you're available, we'd love you to come pedal. Because even if you haven't worked out in 15 years, you have worked out in the last 15 years more than we have in our whole lives combined. Yep. We are completely out of shape. 100% true. <laughs> we need you. We need all your friends. I don't even care what's on your calendar right now, dude. You're going to be there. I'm putting I, I this, think we can make that work. I'm all putting right. this out into the world. Bring your parents, your cousins, <laughs> it's actually, homeless people. Uh, I don't care. It's actually a huge event that they do. And there's like bounce houses. There's like stuff for the kids during the day. It's like a festival. But... You raise money for service dogs to, well, for veterans to get service dogs. Exactly. You know, it's $25,000 to put a service dog through training. I don't even know what it's called. I didn't know it was that expensive. It's and, insane. Well, it's because they're real service dogs, not no, the ones yeah. that got the Amazon vest. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Huge difference. No, I count me in. All right. Done. And, awesome. And, and I would think that, um, you know, my girlfriend would be in there too. So. Sweet. Love it. Yeah, anything Super. we can do. That's All awesome. Right, we we really it. appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming out. This was amazing. Yeah, I had a lot of fun personally. As I hope did you I. did as well. Big time. Awesome. Well, with that being said, say goodnight, darling. Uh, good night. I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. Say goodnight, my other darling. Uh, my name is Jared, and I'm an alcoholic. I am Chris. I am also an alcoholic. Cut off your pets' privates. And please, if you are struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, 
ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.